0: You're listening to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis, a podcast designed to explore the personal mission of everyday leaders. Hear from men and women who are making a difference in their corner
1: of the world and discover what keeps them on mission. Welcome to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis. I'm Jonathan Sheely. In today's episode, we are privileged to have one of our board of resource members join us. Dr. Jesse Sherburn was here on campus for the spring meetings and agreed to come on the show
0: what an incredible pedigree that Dr. Sherburn has. And as a graduate of Maranatha, went on to achieve a doctorate. He's an engineer. He's a, I would say a physicist. He has incredible range of very real world applicable knowledge. And that's not always true. You know, people <laughs> who pursue really advanced education sometimes become useless in the real world. And Dr. Sherburn is anything but. He has been a great friend now for many years and serves in so many ways behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. It wasn't too many years ago he was on campus and did an entire week of training sessions for our students talking about his findings that relate to young earth creation and what we see in the tectonic plates and all of his doctoral level research that he had put into that. And then over the years he has helped us develop academic programs and keep them relevant and current. He has taught for us in our online and distance learning program. And in fact, you can take a class with Dr. Sherburn right now. He has hired our graduates. And so we are always looking for opportunities for graduates that want to use their scientific knowledge in a way that advances the kingdom as well. And he is definitely one of those guys. So this is a fantastic conversation to see in action how an expertise sort of outside the traditional ministry mindset can be integrated in to ministry
1: every day in the real world. And he is a human. He has had struggles. And we get to that a little bit. And his ability to use those experiences to fuel his excellence is just inspiring. Well, as you and I have been learning as well in some of the
0: books we've been reading together, the limitations that we have as humans are God-given, and in a way, they are a blessing. And it's hard to see that at the moment. Dr. Sherburn dealt with cancer and was faced with the very real-world challenges that that represented for him. And there were times when he had no choice but to rely upon God for the strength to get through a day and the doubts that begin to creep into your mind. And yet God was faithful through that. And then as he was able to conquer that challenge in his life, it gave him even stronger faith to to face the challenges ahead. So that's what a lesson we can all learn.
1: And absolutely, we, we appreciate his even perspective on using that experience for gospel. Mm. Um, and in the environment that he lives, he doesn't exactly have open doors the same way that he might in other industries because of the, the sector that he works in. But people seeing him go through real human issues have opened up doors of opportunity and what an inspiration that can be to us as well. So well, Let's get to it. Today, we are joined by Dr. Jesse Sherburn, Senior Research Mechanical Engineer at the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center in the Geotechnical Structures Laboratory in the Geosciences Structures Division Research Group. Dr. Sherburn is a 2004 alumnus and an adjunct professor for Maranatha Online. He and his wife, Christy, also an MBU alum, live in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and have four children. His hobbies include taekwondo, improving his home audio, and smoking barbecue meat. His favorite meal is ramen and barbecue. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Well, that gives me a lot just to ask
0: about right off the bat, that is a mouthful. Uh, just, uh, Do you have a business card and is it like a four by six? I mean, just to get your titles on there.
2: Uh, I actually don't have a business card
0: <laughs> probably for that reason. So is this part of like the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers?
2: Yes, it's technically. So we are the research branch of the Army Corps of Engineers. It's The Army Corps of Engineers has 30,000 some of them employees. I can't remember exactly how many, but um, most of it is the traditional engineers that you would think about—you know, bridges, dams, uh, gate—you know, infrastructure, infrastru- yeah. infrastructure type deal. But we're the research; we're the ones actually trying to figure out the equations. The other engineers are trying to actually use the equations to. actually design the work hopefully
0: you get out from behind the computer screen every once in a while and get out in the field though right
2: oh they let us out oh yeah they let us out we get to actually do some pretty fun stuff well you and
0: i have talked about some of that fun stuff over the years now how how does the us army corps of engineers work together the research you're doing i always hear about darpa and they're like the people doing the ray guns and the the cool
2: stuff so darpa is a is a dod lab is a dod lab it's underneath I Department guess, of Defense yes, yeah, under <laughs> OSD really What is OSD? Uh, Office Secretary of Defense. Okay. So, These military yeah. things they I get, they get, they
0: yeah, get it's a government thing. All <laughs> oh, the, oh, the TLAs are thick on yeah, this. One, it's yeah, it's
2: pretty bad. It's awful and if I ever have a just interrupt me on <laughs> a definition I have and and I might not even know it either. You know, it's one of those things some of them are just forgotten Okay, so like DARPA. So DARPA was is basic research. They're like fundamental basic like crazy out there research. We are as you can imagine, as engineers, we do a lot of applied research. We actually have a small portfolio of basic research. That's the same type of money. They call it color of money and basic money. It's the, it's really, <laughs> yeah, just don't, don't get me started. So it's it, government it's money. Government, it's government money. It's government, it's taxpayer money. There's it all lots comes, of zeros. Uh, okay. <laughs> there's lots of zeros, but it varied, depending on the type of money, it really depends. So we have a small amount of, you know, millions of dollars, I guess, in the, at Urtic. That's short for engineer research developments that are, fo- so if I keep saying URDIC, <laughs> okay that's what it refers to, just because. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, that's But fine. you yeah. don't,
0: you don't only build things. Oh, we blow stuff up. You get to see how they deconstruct just <laughs> hey, as much as construct. Yeah, it deconstructs way faster than it constructs, I
2: can guarantee you that. <laughs> sure, but not necessarily easy to do right. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. So we're, so I would describe, so the, our lab really has an interesting history. It was started, so Urdek and what I would call Waterways Experimental Station, which is the physical location in Vicksburg, Mississippi, because Urdek actually seven labs across the country. Okay. And there's four that are in Vicksburg. The other three are in different locations. One's in Alexandria, Virginia, one's in Champaign, Illinois, and then oh, the other really? one's in Hanover, uh, That's New right Hampshire. By where I grew up. Yep. Yeah, I had no idea, there were so many nerds. Yeah, Searle Construction Engineering okay. Research Lab. Yeah. And they have a well, the U of
0: I has a huge engineering school.
2: Yes, so. and they're tied in with it. A lot are of them they? are adjunct there. A lot of them are adjunct there, but oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a federal lab there. Cool. Um, so they put them under this umbrella of URDIC back in the late 90s because they were kind of scattered all over the place. But they were all Army Corps of Engineers laboratories. And so they um, – but it started in the 20s when they – the. Big flood on the right. Mississippi, yeah. uh, they decided to have a research center specifically right next to the Mississippi because they wanted to tame it. And it was mm-hmm. all about, you know, getting levees and trying to figure out how it worked. Well, that led into developing capabilities in soil mechanics testing. That was their big deal because, you know, if you want to build levees, you need to know how the soil behaves under, you know, erosion conditions and everything. So they had people that built up, you know, testing facilities specifically for soils. Well, that led to, we actually had a part in D-Day I didn't, it was one of really? those things that, yeah, on the landing, they actually wanted to know how, so we also had shallow water work that was, uh, done and they were trying to figure out the most opportune time to go in and the models that they developed in the forties were there to actually, so they were one of the ones that guided, um, that the whole D-Day campaign, at least the timing of. So you, did you discover
0: go. that research when you were then later on working on this? Yeah, it, projects with the Mississippi.
2: Well, our leadership is very good about trying to tell our story over oh, and I over see. and over. So it's one of those things that you just pick up over time okay. that, they, that they've talked about. And so, but it it's fun to kind of get to the point where it actually matters for us, at least in weapons effects, modeling or research that, that I deal with. And they, in following D-Day and World War II leading into the Cold War, because, nuclear weapons were such a big deal well what do what was one of the main areas that they put nuclear weapons in was silos what are silos surrounded by soil soil and so the expertise in the government was with the Army Corps of Engineers at the Waterways Experiment Station. So there was a sudden change from instead of being civil works, there was suddenly a military application that was in there. And so for years, that's what they did is is weapons effects against there in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And then there was a transition in the in the 90s with a um, and because of that, they started developing other things. There was uh, you know the the Russians just we kept going back and forth with them, and eventually we transitioned over to not conventional warfare. It was now unconventional warfare. You know terrorist threats and those right. so things changed, and now things are starting to turn back around. All you got to do is stare at the stare at the it's current geopolitical the environment. You can yeah. see exactly it's like well it's all come full circle. So yeah, you, know, you can see how our research has changed over the years. But it start it ultimately started with the flooding on the Mississippi and got us to got us to the point it's a fascinating story and it, that, some of the pictures in our hallways are absolutely amazing that the work that they've done over the years so what's it like to live in mississippi
1: hot <laughs> <laughs> you all the time there was no time gap between yeah, that didn't what's to it think like too hard hot about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah hot it is
2: it, it's a lot of fun i actually joke about it um so you know i was born and raised in marina california so i was born oh, really? literally on the coast um, my parents have a house and mile and a half away from the ocean, not very warm ocean. It's freezing cold ocean. It's not something you swim in and people die every year because of the riptides and stuff. Anyway, it's not a, it's not a fun ocean. Oh, so anyway.
0: no, for me, I grew up in Illinois. If I got to California, I'd just be go like, to the Gulf. Let's Coast.
2: Go. <laughs> <laughs> go to the Gulf. If you want to go to the, if you want to go to the ocean for real, go to the Gulf. That's, okay. that's where it's fun. It's warm there too in the summer anyway, but, um, I didn't realize it at the time, but my dad raised me redneck. I mean, just sort oh. of, as a, you know, you don't realize it until you get- in
0: California? Yeah, in California. Oh, okay. And so we were oddballs. I mean, we had
2: a absolutely fantastic church. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I actually came to Maranatha was because they promoted it, they had, Maranatha had singers that were yeah. coming through and two of my really good friends-
0: That was me came. in 1995. You probably saw me, you were like in the third grade or something. <laughs> uh, 13, it would have been 13 at the oh, time. okay, good. But Maranatha Messengers, 1995, we went to California.
2: Did you go to Calvary Baptist Church? What city? Marina. Yeah, California. probably. That may have been what? So it was 95? Let's go. 95. All
0: right. <laughs> Something good came out of that,
2: <laughs> that summer. <laughs> well, wow. Yeah, so they, yeah, two of them, two of them went and we had a massive group come to Maranatha. Like when I was here, there was at least A massive group. I never knew five or six that came from the church, that came from the church because of the, because of those, the, the, singers the 1995 Marinette, You're just going to, you're just going to run with that. Yeah.
0: That's, <laughs> I mean, you know,
1: it it had had to to where that. credit is due. Yeah, Let's here's go. your humility check. I was two.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: awesome. Well, maybe it so, influenced your parents. I don't know. So, <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay.
2: So I say that because when I, you know, came to Wisconsin, that was a, a bit of a culture shock mainly for the weather shock the weather shock the weather shock is probably the bigger (laughs) one but at least got to experience that but going down to mississippi it was a you know there is a culture shock that's there especially you know my wife's from pennsylvania and so Mm. me california her pennsylvania and we moved to wisconsin you know we were in wisconsin for you know five years six she was here six years but moved down to mississippi and that was a culture shock but i realized within about a year or two these are my people, <laughs> yeah, it's just i I like being able to the house that we live at now, at least in Vicksburg, you know during deer season, if I walk outside in the morning, I'll hear a gunshot go off. I go, oh, that's nice to hear." <laughs> i like like to hear those things because that's that's just the way i've i've picked up deer hunting i actually picked up deer hunting here in wisconsin oh yeah Um, yeah and that sort of got required it's required it's required (laughs) i took it down there and there's there's i'm pretty certain there's more deer than people in mississippi oh well there's a lot they're not huge but i don't care they taste all the same so speaking of,
0: you are big into smoking barbecued yep. meat.
2: My dad got me addicted to that. I know somebody else at what this table that's yeah, into that. Yeah, <laughs> my dad My dad got me addicted. He, got, he bought me a, a pit barrel smoker, just a mm-hmm. you know the canned one, which I know is not the, it, if you talk to the purists, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but hey, it gets smoke on the meat, so I don't that's care. Right. and I didn't have to pay for it, so your dad bought it for hey, me. Hey,
1: that's the two best versions, because it's expensive. It's an expensive hobby. It's extremely expensive. It's a so big- wood, and meat, yeah, those are too expensive things yeah. right now. Yeah, <laughs> so right big, now,
2: especially the big repeat that I do now is I smoke my own bacon, mm. which is Ooh. just absolutely. How long do you keep it in there? Uh, it's only about two hours. It's not a just cold two smoke. Hours. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. it's a. Yeah. I keep it about two twenty-five, or uh, mm-hmm. roughly about there. It's a you bring me any i mean i'm getting hungry just think about (laughs) smoked bacon i have i have turned my family into bacon snobs oh no because bacon bacon, you know everybody's like oh bacon's bacon it's good on everything No. no they're not all bacon is created equal it is, and it's addicting. And every time I get it, every <laughs> Addicted time to bacon, <laughs> okay. my bacon, not, okay. not other <laughs> Right? Not, I mean, the store bought stuff. It's also cheaper too. There's like, there's one.
1: That's one bonus. Well, not now. You know, inflation's so bad. But you know, right? Whatever. But that's, a, that's a separate. There's thing. something about it too, where you, like you, the first time you you have the taste of whatever you made, you're like, you're tricking yourself into thinking that this was amazing, but it's the first time that you did it. <laughs> Well, and then you get better at it. Yeah. The first time, actually, it was gross. The first time <laughs> I did it, it was
2: gross. It was too much. I followed a recipe online and I followed it to the T, you know, because I'm very much an engineer. I was like, of course, I'm going to follow this thing. I was yeah. like, too- and I have a scale. You know, cause right. I do, I'm a, I'm a coffee snob too. So I measure mine out hey. by mass, not by volume. Oh my. you have to, Cause, cause mass is per, precise. Volume is not. Anyway, I've, you I've, say got, so. I've got somebody at this table that <laughs> Listen, agrees with me. This guy agrees this with table, me. You're on that table. I'm on for the ride. Right <laughs> no, so we, anyway, I'm, it was way too salty. I mean, it was oh, real yeah. salty. I mean, it just, and I'm like, how can people tolerate this? And so I just cut it in, uh, I, I had a discussion with my brother and we went, all right, we're going to, we're going to cut this thing in half. And then suddenly it's like a just an explosion of flavor. You can taste all of the ingredients because you have full control over everything that goes in there. Because mm-hmm. you got to, you have to soak it, you know, you marinate it for a week. You turn it over and over and over again. Anyway, it's, wow. it's fun. It's fun. And my kids are always Saturday and Sunday morning, bacon. Bacon? We get bacon?
0: Yeah, so is bacon. bacon your mission in life? I mean, I, I, I
2: think, you know, this podcast called On Mission, I think we should just maybe ba- alter on. the name to On Bacon or something <laughs> on at meat. this point. It's, it's, <laughs> and it's addicting. It is and addicting. It's, and then there's other ones we do too. I like ribs and,
1: hey, and that's, ribs, oh. chicken. Mm-hmm. And uh,
2: what's the other one that I've done lately? I smoked some venison a couple of time, a couple of times. It's a little hard because you it's really need some, you need some fat. Right. <laughs> venison doesn't have much um and then i've done a couple of oh, turkeys that's another turkeys yeah i'll never go back turkeys, turkeys i also like be. to do uh fried turkey too we go back yeah. and forth between mm-hmm. the two because they're just night i like actually having both
1: right so, anyway well, we could talk about meat and coffee Uh-oh. and leave Dr. Davis out of the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just go for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> but we are here to talk about mission in life, and even though my mission is to bring good meat to people, <laughs> <laughs> which I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> what What would you say is your mission for life? Do you have it written out, or do you have uh, do you have some thoughts that you'd like to so I have it written out
2: in preparation for this more than more than anything, but I've been thinking about it since we've been having these or I've been listening to the On Mission podcast, They've, it's really gotten me thinking about it. And especially as we were talking earlier about the Sunday school class that I've been teaching in Proverbs for the past four years, it's really kind of focused focused me down to that. And then the, the podcast has kind of got me thinking about this. So mm. the way I want to describe it is it's really around two biblical principles and it's going to have an engineering application at the end just because I can't help it. It's, it's going to have it. You'll see it. So the first is fearing God, and the second is glorifying my savior and creator in everything I do. And the best way I can do it, because the word of God is far better than anything I could ever say, is what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, summing up the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And everything can be summed up in that. Um, it's a pretty basic concept. I find it more fascinating is that it was at the end of his life that he stated that after all of the – everything that he had been through, yeah. the poor choices that – right. all the good choices and the poor choices that he made throughout throughout his life. But there – in that verse, there's an attitude and an action. The attitude is fearing God. The action is obedience, actually doing what you're supposed to do. And it's coming from a man who at least 14 times in Proverbs wrote the fear of the Lord. I mean he, he focused on that significantly in Proverbs over and over and over again and the first time it's mentioned in in Proverbs 1 7 it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge that's literally what I would call the zero point Yeah, it is the basic start we have lots of different laws in engineering and physics and there's even a zero th- law of thermodynamics I'm not sure that's usually not as well known and it's a very simple concept it's literally it's all about thermal equilibrium if system A and system B are in thermal equilibrium and system C is in thermal equilibrium with A, then B has to be, by, associate, by definition, it has to be associated with it. So it they have to be all in... Ther- it, so you're like, well, that's like the most fundamental if this one's in equilibrium with this, but it has profound consequences to that. Anyway, so it's a zero... It's literally the most basic thing that you can talk about. And it kind of relatively defines temperature and all that fun stuff. So it's, I'll move away from that. <laughs> and as you go through Proverbs, you see that it literally is the starting point for true wisdom and understanding. And you're never going to have the correct understanding without the correct attitude. And I, the more I go through Proverbs, it's really the attitude that I find on, you know, that it's the fear of the Lord is the start. If you don't have the right starting direction, you're going to get off course. I mean, we're told that the Jesus said the path's narrow and you know, you can be aiming towards a path, but if you're not starting in the right spot, and for us, it's salvation, is is the starting is the starting point. Right. But you can get off, you can literally get off your foundation and starting point. You can move, you can move off of it, and God can chastise you and bring you back and bring you back. But He's got to get you back to that starting point, which I would I would argue is the the fear of the Lord, and then you can move forward. again. but it cannot be decoupled. That our attitude can't be decoupled from our actions, Mm-mm. you have to have you have to have obedience, but they're related to each other. You know, without the correct attitude or actions, I'm never going to glorify God properly, so it sort of leads into the second part,
0: which is so you see the second part glorifying the Savior and everything that you do as kind of putting into action from the st- right starting point of fearing the
2: lord yes, exactly it is if I can't glorify him if i don't if I don't have that proper godly fear and rever that reverence for him that is spoken about so many times in right. the proverbs and i i feel it as i was thinking about this you know i fail i fail at it continually you know it's yeah. one of those things you just as you're as you know paul got more and more sensitive to his sin the later on in his life yeah. you know being the chief of sinners you know at the end of his life as opposed to being the the least of apostles the least of Believers and then the chiefest of all sinners. It's uh, I, I, I feel like a bigger failure the, the longer I, the longer I go in that in that regard is like I I constantly want to make sure that I'm in the right where I'm supposed to be and going in the right direction.
0: But already you're you're using two examples from Scripture of a man in the Old Testament, a man in the New Testament that both came to these realizations later in life when they were almost more spiritually mature, having yeah. experienced life and different yeah. modes and and <laughs> different actions along the way that they were seeking the fulfillment in life, which is really what we're all after is that that concept that life is meaningful and that there's fulfillment in what I'm doing. And in Ecclesiastes, boy, he sure did explore every possible human attempt yep. at satisfaction and fulfillment, and yet comes to his conclusion that None of those things work, <laughs> not in that way anyway. And I think what another thing that comes to mind as you put these in this sequence and, and define them that way is that a lot of people may go about life trying to satisfy God, or we use the word glorify God, without having any relationship with God, without first approaching the zero sum, the zero starting point, and that's just works in legalism. Yep. And it's hollow and unfulfilling as well. Yep. So you can have a life that looks on the outward appearance like it is very uh, lowercase godly, okay, and religious, and conforming to what everyone has told you is right actions, and yet still not have that fulfillment that you're after. So I think that's a great way to pose that. First, zero point, fearing God yep. and that relationship with God, right attitudes lead to right understandings, lead to right actions. Man, that's
2: pretty so profound. I like, yeah, I like so it. I like, so I like to think of it this way. the Here's the here's the engineering slash physics okay. thing in here. Is, so I, I had it summed up. I had to think about this and wrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it because I'm a— You're probably not done yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, well, especially since y'all you, you got me started on this, I'm going to continually edit it. But it's fearing God as the starting point and to be consistently glorifying Him in all I do is the goal. And so the the engineering application is this— is uh, vectors and so mm-hmm. a vector has a has basically a starting point and an angle or you can think about it as two points mm-hmm. it, it's define you can define them either way but you have a starting point and you have a direction you can actually shift the vector around it always goes in the same has the same starting point the same same direction it can be moved it can be moved around but if it turns or if it twists you're now you're physically changing the angle You're physically changing the direction. And if you get off your starting point and get off the angle, you're going to get all messed up.
0: We talk about that quite a bit in relation to our students, that none of us in life spiritually are in the same point along the path. The question is about direction and where is this individual pointed? (laughs) Has everything to do with that direction? You know, we play golf and uh, how much does one little angle open on the club face lead to 300 yards down the fairway. You're in not, the fairways other fairways to the right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And it's so important that we have the right starting point, but that we have the right direction as well. As well.
1: Hmm. I like that a lot. When we were corresponding ahead of time, you had some significant notes about how your mission has changed as well oh. in your life. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the
2: main reasons why I came to Maranatha was I had actually heard a creation scientist, and that really got me on fire. That that was, I will tell you, was probably a turning point in my life that God used a creation scientist to get me, what I would say, on fire. I was saved at nine years old and so thankful to be saved at a young age. I mean, I went to a, this is sort of a random thing that a few people know about me, but I actually went to an all-male Catholic high school. Is that right? You know, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a, it, that's an interesting story about how God led my parents to put me in there because all the schools in California were trash at the time. <laughs> and so they sent me to this school. And uh, there was some confusion in my head, you know, going to an independent fundamental Baptist church and then to a Catholic school.
0: A lot of the terminology is the same, but they sure don't mean
2: the same oh, thing. Oh, they don't mean the same thing. But there were lots of things while there – God used – while my parents didn't necessarily do it for this – they didn't do this for this reason. They were doing it because I – I was homeschooled for junior high, went to public school for elementary school. They homeschooled me in junior high because the schools were starting to get bad, and then they sent me to this school because the college prep. And I would, I would honestly say that it gave me the springboard I needed academically to jump in because Maranatha, the first two years were a piece of cake, mm-hmm. and I would, and I wouldn't say it because it was Maranatha was still difficult, and was extremely rigorous, but it's because that. That preparatory school. I had really good foundation. I mean, the writing and the rigor was just incredible. So I I had a, a humongous springboard. Um anyway, so that really led me. The the Catholic school kind of messed up my thinking for a little while, although I was still sitting under an independent uh, Baptist fire-breathing preacher. I mean, we still we still had it. Fire-breathing, yeah. hell, hell fire-breathing <laughs> preacher. Even though he wasn't very loud, you know, Pastor Noff wasn't very loud. He was very much quieter. But uh, I will honestly say that his one sermon on hell, when I was nine years old, that's what got me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what that's what changed my life. Um, it's a reality, and I think
0: it's a reality that we haven't thought about enough or talked about enough in our current culture and society about the the truly demonic influences that exist in our world. And we like to try to sanitize and bring everything back to the physical world and its realities, Mm engineering-wise or or else. And yet there is, behind all of this, uh, a spiritual darkness and a direction, if you want to talk about an opposing force, right?
2: As I went through there, I heard this creation scientist, and it just completely— refocused if you want to if you want to say mm-hmm. i i was reading my bible all the time and suddenly as i was doing that and i was trying to really live right you find opposition <laughs> and especially at the catholic school i had one i had one situation where i was i and there were actually a few a few kids there that believed in a young earth creation uh, really? Yes, there were there were a couple that were there. That's
0: really not the official Catholic position anymore. No,
2: I've read the official Catholic position, and they kind of they're wishy washy about it. They're fine with an evolutionary time frame, just as long as God zapped a soul into the first. It's like, oh, Adam was definitely real. He was a created soul at that time. And oh. so, if you ever read it, the official position, it's interesting. Um, but. So I had discussions and I even had one of my best high school teachers, I found, I found this fascinating. It was actually in calculus <laughs> class, if anything, he, um, a, a student was really belligerent at me because he just said I was stupid for believing this and he had lots of arguments against it and I was just very careful explaining it and it spilled into the classroom. And I remember the teacher just sitting there and we actually went 10 minutes into the class and the teacher just let it go. And I stopped and looked at the clock and went, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to do it. He's like, nope, you continue, go ahead. And I went, seriously? So we just kept going. There was another student there that agreed with me, so I wasn't by myself. But uh, I found out years later, um, talking with him, he said, I don't necessarily agree with you, but you stood on your foundation and this enti- the entire faculty saw that.
0: Well, there used to be a respect for The, the art of debate and conversation and even disagreement. And yet in our culture today, it's all about canceling anyone with another divergent opinion from mine. I wonder if that, that same kind of
2: respect that you found in that conversation would be afforded today. (laughs) Uh, Probably not. Probably not. And some of those conversations are harder because everybody wants to turn everything into a screaming match. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's, we've lost the art of Mm. being able to, to agree to disagree. Yeah. We can't and if you disagree with me, you must hate me. Hmm. So after the the school, I had realized, you know what, I want to do something in creation science. It's like I just I loved it. I I think I read everything by Henry Morris. Yeah. I think I read everything by, you know, John Morris and and all of all of the other ones. I mean, I just inhaled it. It was so much there was so much knowledge that I was just sitting there and, you know, I didn't really understand it at the time. But eventually what happened was um I realized, okay, I want to be a science teacher. And I was look as I was looking, that was what I originally went to go to Maranatha for, was to be a science education major. And thinking, okay, I can do this and maybe this will give me a good foundation. Cause ultimately what I really wanted to do was I, I wanted to do creation evangelism. Cause that was, you know, to me, that was what got me excited. And I wanted to see that happen. And I remember being, you know, really zealous about it and getting real excited and saying, This is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. But as I have learned, you know, some of that I would just call it delusions of grandeur. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> that's what I wanted to do, which is a very important distinction. Although it was very noble and, you know, exciting of what I wanted to do, that's not what it was. That's not what God had intended. I had two professors here who specifically told me, uh, you don't belong teaching science. I'm like, really? Yeah, we we think it would be a waste for you to teach high school science. Hmm. And they said they specifically told me. We think you should go on and get your PhD. They weren't being negative towards you. They were telling you that maybe potential. there was even
0: something greater or grander yes, that you should pursue.
2: And they weren't knocking down no. teaching science because I had I had some really good science teachers. Even at the Catholic school, I had actually fantastic science teachers. And it, it really was not the negative on that. It was the, you have way more potential on this. And I think God has something. And it was two teachers telling me at two separate times. And I... I ran with that and said, Well, I think God's trying to tell me something if these two godly men are trying to are telling me this. And then suddenly God opens door after door after door. You know, one of them being the the one professor, I don't know if you remember Bob Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Dr. Hill. He um he's the one that encouraged me to go to the International Conference on Creationism in two thousand three. And it was there at that conference that I met Dr. Mark Horstemeyer who there on the spot, knowing me less than a day, said, come study with me. You're the kind of student I'm looking for. And he offered me a graduate research assistantship right there. He said, all you got to do is make sure that you have good enough grades to – I was like, oh, that's fine. I'm good with that. It's and like, you Turn. said,
0: how can I get into a doctoral program? I don't have a master's degree.
2: Uh, well, yeah. Well, <laughs> specifically, I asked, how do I do this when I didn't have an engineering degree? Yeah. That was the that was one of the things. He said, oh, we'll take care of that. You'll just have to take some prerequisites. And he was very much a big, big picture person. He's very much a big picture sort of systems thinker. And so he's like, Yeah, we'll figure that out later. We'll figure that out later. And so we moved on, we moved on and um we prayed, I prayed about it. And it was, I can tell you right now, that was one of those times where it was not God tapping me on the shoulder. It was, you know, hitting me with a bus saying, here's the thing that I want you to do. I couldn't tell you what I was gonna do past that, but it like here it is. It was like, you know, you've had I've been giving you direction. I want you to go get a PhD. And, you know, I'm like, I don't know how to get one. I don't know who to talk to. I had some exposure with some PhDs at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. I had a two years internship there. So I at least was exposed to engineering for a couple summers. So I knew some of the very basic stuff. But then he he loads this thing right in front of me and says, here it is. I went, all right. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord. I'm out. Yeah. I'm going to go. And so, we, so it
0: was really just a matter, not necessarily of knowing everything about the road ahead. But just saying yes, yep. What whatever it is, I'm up for it. Yep, exactly. But what what do you say to the people who take forever to make decisions and wring their hands about it, and you know, create? Uh, you, ought to, you ought to be objective about making decisions, but that just take forever—months and months and months, years—and
2: seems like never do anything. <laughs> Maybe I'm spoiled. Is it just maybe because God's of who spoiling, you are. Maybe because God's spoiling me okay. or whatever. He just keeps putting things in my path, and you know, he'll give me a decision point and I'll go. We're going to pray about it. You know, Christy and I, we we pray about it, and we might look back and go, oh, I'm not sure if that was the right decision at that point, but we made a decision.
0: But you, you know. made that decision, and you have been doing that now, ever since. Yeah, I guess it's just the
2: you stuck the attitude to it thing. I guess it's exactly. not like
0: you're just chasing after every peanut the next to the no, trail minor I mean, things <laughs> changes yeah. yeah you stuck to it you, you made that decision quick and then you stuck to it
2: yeah and i will honestly say going after a phd is more about um perseverance than it is intelligence i've heard that before yeah because i've known some very intelligent takes people. a little bit of both i've known some very intelligent people that were failures in phds mm. because they just could not and and i will say this is sort of the the Thing I actually give my physics students, uh, they get to read this, the conceptual physics class as well as the, the big physics class. They all have to read this this paper. This sort of brings up another point. Um, in 2007, there was an article that came out, The Importance of Stupidity in Scientific Research. Mm-hmm. And the entire— You've seen a lot of that lately. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but the point is, it's all about um, accepting that you don't know everything and that, and sometimes you're gonna run up against problems that you're gonna be completely ignorant about. And he said, it's productive stupidity is what mm. the author talks about. Yeah. And his whole argument is about, he's talked about a young lady that he went to school with and she was brilliant. And she actually was really, she ended up being really successful. She quit engineering and, uh, or no quit, quit biology or whatever she was in and she went on to be a lawyer. <laughs> good choice and was super successful and so he said she was one of the most brilliant people but years later he talked to her and said why did you quit she said i got tired of feeling stupid Mm. and the point is researchers i'm constantly feeling stupid like i'm constantly confronted with the reality that uh, i don't really know the answer i may have some experience that i can draw from yeah in the past on some area but i'm wading through murky area because some areas have never been never been solved before. Although I find lately that we keep going back to, I, I'll think I found a solution that's absolutely amazing and novel. Now I'll go back, oh, somebody solved that in the 60s <laughs> or 70s. I'm constantly uh, confronted with how brilliant people are uh, in the past, especially those that didn't have computers to help solve them problems like we do now.
0: Yeah. So you you pursued this PhD. You said you didn't have the engineering degree. What degree did you actually finish with in your bachelor's level?
2: So at Maranatha it was general studies- with applied science emphasis and a math minor
0: and what a math minor. Yep. Okay. So looking at the catalog today, if you know, what would, what would you suggest to some individual who's interested in pursuing a similar path?
2: There's a couple of ways you could do it. One would be the, the mathematics major mm. now would be a That's Uh, a new one. That's a brand new one. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a perfect start. You know, I'm even hiring one of the first math majors this summer. Lord willing, if everything goes according to plan, he'll be, he'll be starting out here in the next couple of weeks. You've
0: got your own little, uh, Padawan to uh, bring along. (laughs) Yes. And that, yeah, we can get to that later about my,
2: my desire of mentoring. Yes. Math, math is a is a big one. You really have to be heavy in math. Every engineering major basically has a minor in math. That's kind of a fundamental, fundamental piece. So I had taken every math course and even taken one at UW Madison when I was here. I didn't know why I was doing it. I did it because I loved math because that's the reality is I love math. There are people like that.
0: Um, I I enjoyed math in high school and I think there's an analytical side to it that, that speaks to people that pursue that sort of thing. What made it come alive
2: was physics. To me, I
0: loved physics, Physics, the practical side.
2: Physics is the piece that suddenly all of the the geeky math that I'd loved for years. It's like it suddenly was like it was dead, but it was fun. Right? It's like it just woke up for me. It's like oh, everything that Isaac Newton did, everything that Leibniz did, all they all did that to solve physics problems. So
0: that's the language that you use then later in the engineering specific training at the grad level. Is yes. the mathematics it's, math and
2: phys- it's math and right. physics. It just goes deep into the, I mean, I had courses, I mean, the undergraduate courses that even led up to it because I had to take five prerequisite classes to kind of get me into the mode that I could even do it on the master's, on the right. master's level.
0: You're on Maranatha's board and we were talking at uh, one of the board meetings uh, about a year and a half ago now, it seems like, about the real need for more people that are qualified to, to go into this field and I think you said, "Listen, if you had a math major, I'll I'll hire them and we'll get them the training they need." I I don't want them to be spoiled with the wrong kind of training, so this would be great.
2: Yeah, it yeah we can we can tune it. And in the government, there's so many opportunities yeah. to to be able to get people hired and actually get them educated. I mean, there's I mean they'll pay f- they'll pay for it if you find the right if you find the right area. And we so if are you're worried looking... about
0: student loan debt just uh, get one of those jobs where they they pay to put you through school
2: yeah and it's a good path it's a good deal in government you're you're not going to get rich in the government but it's good it's it's
1: good money you get all the federal holidays oh and they keep making <laughs> new ones so we keep getting more let's go <laughs> so we'll take it okay so Louis, take a second and let's talk about how your mission interacts with your business because one of the things that you said I really appreciate. And it's something that Dr. Davis and I have said before, um, but you said just like this, if I perform poorly in my job, I feel that that would be a clear stumbling block to the other researchers. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I really,
2: if my goal is to glorify God in everything I do, I want to make sure that I'm out of the way. You know, it's the, I, I don't know why, but the song that comes to my mind is channels only. Mm. I want people to see God. I don't want people to see, I don't want people to see me. And so I wanna do the best that I can so that they don't look at that. And I don't want it to be an excuse. And I want them to see my life because especially with coworkers and especially in in uh, a non-Christian government <laughs> environment, I'm gonna be around these people for a long time. A lot of them, and I wanted—I want to make sure that they see Christ in the long term because they're all looking at me, whether I admit it or whether they actively admit it or not. They're looking at it. They're seeing me go through things. Well,
0: you may be the only Bible, outspoken they ever Bible-believing Christian that they there have are, frequent contact
2: with. Although you are, are in Mississippi, we are in the South, so yeah. there's some Bible belt. <laughs> there's a lot of people that go to church. I have yeah. a lot of coworkers that I would argue are very sincere christians they're believers there's others that are very much uh, they are not and they disagree and i've had many opportunities outside of work to talk with them about it and you know sometimes it's come up just due to whatever circumstances in their lives It just something comes up because they just wanted to confide in me and i go why did that happen it's like well it's the holy spirit saying here you go you're somebody you can talk to and mm. and have an opportunity to talk with them and i don't because i got to take the long the long game on it and You know, as, as you know, I was diagnosed with cancer back in 2014 and one of the most scariest realizations I had, it wasn't just the cancer. It was the moment I realized everybody is going to be looking at me on how I respond to this. Yeah, And the weight of that realization was just it, it's the same with the weight of the realization of you know when you're when you're a parent, you know how yeah. much you you have this soul that God has entrusted to you and that suddenly how I respond to this could dictate how somebody in my church or at work, their view of God could come from that. That opportunity
0: carries significant weight.
2: Yes, and I I recognized it, and it was almost, you know, crushing, but at the same time saying, "But my grace is sufficient."
0: It's hard for someone on the outside looking in to understand the unique and special grace that God provides to people who are called by Him to shoulder responsibilities like that, trouble like
2: that. And it, that kind of leads into. The, I know it's going back to one other thing, but you know, what's changed is God has put me as he kept putting things in front of me and saying, this is the direction I wanted you to go. This is where I want you to go. But then he throws other things in there on top of it. That's not just job related. Your, Your
0: life had been
2: on such a rocket
0: ride upwardly to that point. It had to be like hitting a brick wall to get news like that. It like, was what, what is happening? I have a plan and I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission. Yeah. <laughs> and also now this cancer,
2: you know, how, God, how did this happen? And you know, your, re, your reaction is always the why. And yeah. that's our, that's our, our human nature. Our sin nature is always why God, why in the world are you putting me through this? And then I remember hearing a sermon about something else, but the question came up, why not? Why not you? And it wasn't – he wasn't talking to me. It was talking about something else. But suddenly the question went, why not? Same reason. I mean Job – the book of Job became one of my best friends in that <laughs> – Really? Yeah, because you're looking at Job. I mean nobody is – my situation was just peanuts compared to what Job went through. Mm. and. But why was Job written there? So that we'd understand that God's in control and God has a higher plan than – than what our little insignificant little problems are. And one of the big things I learned from it, from that process, I can, I I remember sort of writing these things down after the process. I wish I would have taken a journal through that, but my brain was all over the place with chemotherapy and everything. So I can't claim I was in my my right mind. (laughs) Yeah, it would have been fun to at least listen. But my, um, the big thing from that was Paul, I don't have the verse, but it's that he said, the excellency of the knowledge of christ and then he literally says everything else is dung it's all yeah. tra- it's all tra- everything else is, but it's the the knowledge of christ that i have and it was getting me to that point and if that was the one thing that and there are so many other things that i can tell you that you know being able to be a help to some other folks that got cancer in church yeah a lady that's now with jesus right now um you know she leaned on me she was a you know 70 year old lady that got breast cancer Mm. and she just came to me almost immediately. She said, how did you do this? And I went, I just, you know, I trusted the Lord and we went through it. And and that's, at that moment, it's where it clicks. Like that's one of the reasons why God had me have this was so that I could have that conversation with her. But it's those things. And then other things like having a special needs child. Mm. We have an autistic son who keeps things entertaining at the house to say the least, but it's those things, the, the, colon cancer, especially it's and whatever else the Lord has for us past this, that, and when you talk well, about,
0: surely there won't be any more trouble in your life. You've uh, had uh,
2: enough. Uh, no, I've, <laughs> hair, hair can, still has plenty of potential for more thinning, <laughs> yeah, but no, it, it uh, is, we're going to expect trouble. I mean, that's just going to happen. We just, uh, that's what God life
0: we, is, is constructed from. And, yeah
2: people will look at that and go whatever he has I want that's that's what I want people to see because you want them to see Christ I want to be that channel that you know how did that person how did Jesse deal with that he dealt with it because he, he has a relationship with Jesus Christ that's that's what I want them to see especially so you- in government work I want to make sure that I'm I you know because I can't preach from my office because I'd probably get fired in a heartbeat.
0: <laughs> well, there are
2: restrictions dependent on what vocations or
0: employment that we have that we have to honor. Yep. And, and that makes it very difficult. Yeah. We can't be as outspoken, whether it's a public school teacher or someone that works in a government office, because in a sense you are the government. And so yep. we, even as Baptists, we believe in the separation of church and state. In that sense, it means the government doesn't, do certain things and when you are the government that means you and so it's a stewardship that's that's a hard thing to get your head around at first but then you find ways personal ways to live your faith and you described that second point as glorifying the savior in everything and then you've hit us with things mundane and 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 career uh, and, and at the same time grand and and huge, like cancer and, and special needs kids and the other kinds of trouble in life. And I think when you said everything, you really meant everything, that if your, if your code simulation works, then that glorifies God. And if your yep. reaction to bad news, like, oh, by the way, you have cancer,
2: uh, is, is such that it glorifies God as well. Yep, and case in point, if I can go off in another direction yeah. here. So I I had mentioned one of the sort of pivotal things that happened in my career, in my career, and I'll jump off on this because we have to talk about something blowing up at some point. I have have to. I knew it was going to happen. We have have to do it. it And and don't, don't lie. You wanted to hear it anyway. I wanted to
1: hear it. I'm just waiting. (laughs) waiting. waiting, waiting. i the
0: smoked meat and everything else.
2: (laughs) (laughs) heavier stuff, let's get on to the funner stuff. Blow something up. Blow blow something up. (laughs) So uh, at the start of my career, you know, fresh PhD, which I would uh, admit fresh PhDs are literally green behind the ears. They're, they're entirely, oh, yeah. they like new lawyers. No, don't, you don't want to hire a new lawyer. <laughs> yeah. It is, well, we want them because we want their, that they've learned the process. They going, know everything. They, know how, they just haven't been
0: scared nearly enough. <laughs> yeah. We want them to know the process. Well, because the good news is not,
2: they- we expect them to not know anything because there's not a degree in weapons effects that you can get from a university. Most people don't have I know. That. I've looked. That'd yeah, be yeah. awesome. <laughs> that was a, that was one of your, uh, in another yeah. life, you want to go either that. that or a
0: fighter pilot. Fire, then nice. I became
2: a lawyer somehow. I don't know. <laughs> Boring. No, <somehow. laughs> but, um, anyway, I had one of my, my first big projects. I had to design this. So I do a lot of work with concrete and, uh, Against different types of weapons effects. We do primarily, which basically encompasses all weapons effects, most of them at least, um, blast and penetration. So penetration, I'm just talking about, you know, bunker buster class type Mm -hmm. threats that we're interested in. And blast is blast. I mean, anything that goes boom, trying to defend against that from a structural perspective. And uh, I had this one problem. It was a penetration problem. And I needed to come up with a design for this particular thing we were trying to defend against and i came up with this experiment and it was an expensive experiment it was like three four hundred thousand dollars of government you know taxpayer dollars that i'm sitting here designing this thing and i was very confident about my simulation results and the work that i had done for it and i mean like arrogantly confident thinking oh yeah this is going to work this is no problem and uh I didn't even go to that test. I was going to the second test because I'm like, oh yeah, that one's going to work perfectly fine. I get a phone call from my supervisor and he says, um, it didn't work. And I go, what do you mean it didn't work? And I thought he was joking at the time because uh, he'd have to know my sup- my former supervisor. Well, actually, he's my current supervisor now, but it, he sometimes jokes with me and I'm, I'm sort of, it's like, you're serious? He's like, yeah, it went through. I'm like, that can't be right. I was like, I didn't. Anyway, and it was one of those realizations that I had just completely the way that I interpret that, and I you could sort of probably in the tone of my voice hear this downward <laughs> smile of what do you mean it failed? It didn't. I didn't mean it. This fail. It's like it should have done everything went, and he just stopped me in the middle of it. And he's a, he's a believer. Uh, he's a Southern Baptist. I don't hold it against him though. <laughs> um, <laughs> love the man to death. He um he said he's like whoa 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 Jesse stop. He's like this is an experiment. Mm. If we knew the answer, why would we do this? Mm-hmm. And so he said, "That's okay. If we learn something from it, then it's worth it all, even if it's not what you wanted to not what you wanted to happen and I took that and I stopped in my little panic tone that I could tell myself I was getting into, and I took that result and I thought about it, and what I didn't tell you is I had done a bunch of modeling on it. And I had done three different three different codes and methods that I did. Two of them gave the basically the same answer. The third one said it was going to go through, but it was a sort of an experimental um, beta test type thing. But it said it went through, and it turns out it actually had predicted it properly. So I ignored Oops. the one that was in sort of, because it was less developed in my head, and so I went wait a minute. So it was an opportunity to learn something. That experiment is what a senior researcher later on looked at me and said, because we don't understand this very well, I want you to develop a program for us to understand this better. And so he suddenly took this huge risk looking at me because he saw how I reacted. I did it and I learned a bunch and we ended up figuring out why, some relative reasons why it was wrong, but it sprung Boris into a much bigger program, more government money. So, you know, everybody, if. Money is the thing that makes <laughs> things go around in the government. And so oh, yeah. if you can get a program, this was a reimbursable program, which means it was outside of, you know, the direct line of funding. And uh, we got this program and he gave me, you know, a couple million dollars of research money, which at that point was just, you know, blew my mind. Like, you're going to do what with me? You trust me with this kind of money? And at the same time, when that whole thing started is when I got the cancer diagnosis. So I was oh, half wow. chemoed, yeah. you know, through the, whole, through the whole thing. But God took care of me and that program was absolutely amazing from a learning perspective. I got into things that I never thought I would have and it was way out of my comfort zone. I yeah. mean seriously out of my comfort zone and I had, you know, this this man who saw the way I reacted to it afterwards gave me an opportunity because he saw a, a, I've had this conversation with him. He said I saw something in you and I was willing to take that risk cuz yeah. I didn't think it was that big of a risk <laughs> cuz I, right. I thought you were going to I thought you were going to do some good things and we learned some awesome things through there. And well, it was I all because of a failure. It was all because of a failure. Yes.
0: What your point is well taken that we have to sometimes fail forward Yes, and not quit that you may be on the verge of that breakthrough in a good way Yes, and that, <laughs> that, that you just have to keep working at it. And, and the key is to keep moving in a direction, yeah. even if it turns out later to be the wrong direction, at least you've figured that out and you can move on. Yes. Correct.
2: Failing, failing efficiently is, but the it doesn't way feel look- good. At no, the it's, time, it's awful. The the thing is, though, I get I've actually gotten used to it. it well, like now, it, in the past, some you know, of 12 us have years, to get
0: used to it because it just happens, it just happens all the time.
2: <laughs> but, but research research by its very nature yeah. is testing against the limits of the knowledge that we know. Mm. And so you constantly have to be pushing up against. But sometimes the, no. it
0: happens academically too, and yes. God's using some of those things. It's to course correct, and like you might think you're headed one direction, and sometimes yep. it's just He wants to, you to prove to your, yourself uh, what you're capable of, and maybe just retool and work harder and do it better the next yeah. time. And we,
2: I, I would say that as a country, group, whatever, or even Christians, they have a hard time explaining that failure is okay is learning is the right kind of failure the and, right kind and of failure. the right response yeah, to failure you know disobedience is different yeah but failing at something or learning from a mistake because our curriculums are set up here's the information regurgitate it spit it back out that's not really you know failing it is because you failure in that sense is I don't remember the answer. I don't, I forgot something. I forgot a detail. I forgot. Failure in this sense is looking at, you know, doing good high quality research is hard. And, you know, in a lot of other fields are that way too. It's not just research. And usually what ends up happening, like when I bring up that article, the stupidity article, they, um a lot of the students suddenly recognize, they're like, this could be applied in all life. I'm like, praise God, that's absolutely right. It's like, that's half of the reason why I do it. I do it because most people don't like feeling dumb in science because some people just don't get it. Yeah. I'm doing air quotes here. Um, <laughs> they just don't get science and it frustrates them because they don't get it. But the point is, it's okay. It's okay. But this, the whole concept of learning how to effectively fail and deal with it and then push forward, push forward. Because sometimes you might be the expert on that area and you may have to you may just have to try some things. And that's, and I also had a joke in my in my notes here about uh, I sometimes feel like I'm a cheat because I've got the creator of the universe on my side. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that is a, a, benefit, isn't it's it? a benefit, a privilege. I, I have prayed to him
2: on specific, I look at a problem and go, God, I have no idea how to solve this. How in the world do I do that? And then it wasn't, it might not have been an easy path, but he gives He gives me some things to work through to work through and so
0: well and having having the key understanding that god did create things with an intended design certainly does provide a better explanation for what you're scientifically observing
2: and there's a huge push for bio-inspired design i would i would like to call it creation inspired design (laughs) creation design. they call it bio-inspired design yeah bio-inspired design where they're trying to design things based off of nature yeah. Their, it, it, Imagine that yeah. <laughs> out of just randomly uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> occurring things. Yeah, they look at, you know, turtle <laughs> shells and all sorts of different things for different types oh, of applications.
0: Yeah. And beehives and hex. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. All of those. Okay.
2: And there's a reason because the creator of the universe is a whole lot smarter than us. And, and, you know, all we're doing is mimicking what he, what he's done. And so there's huge pushes on that. And all I look at it is go, yeah, you're, you're just mimicking the creator
0: rediscovering a natural order that yeah yeah well thank you for sharing your expertise we could talk for hours about all these different things it's fascinating and you are a multi-talented guy and i appreciate you sharing that with us the ups the downs and um, i think we can learn from every bit of it thanks for being here
2: thanks matt appreciate
1: it thank you for joining us today on mission is a production of maranatha baptist university To learn more with Dr. Sherburn, enroll in the next online session at mbu.edu slash apply. Subscribe to On Mission on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review as this will help other growing leaders find these conversations. For more information about our guests' previous episodes and general information about On Mission or MBU, go to mbu.edu slash podcast. Join us again next week as we examine what keeps leaders on mission.